You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Leaf. And I'm Rice. And this is the Earn and Invest Podcast. The seeds of my leaving were sown early in my journey. I was a second-year resident, and as the night progressed, I was the only doctor left in the ICU. The last fellow resident to leave handed off a new admission, an elderly gentleman with respiratory distress of unknown origin. He was on the cusp of needing a ventilator, but my task was to stabilize him before that became necessary. While running from bed to bed putting out fires, it was clear that I was going to fail at my task. As his breathing deteriorated even more rapidly, I gathered the materials together to intubate and put him on a ventilator. And then everything went bad. The anesthesiologist I called never showed up. The airway was difficult, and I couldn't get the tube to slide into place correctly. As I frantically used a mask and bag to provide life-saving air to my patient, with the help of another doctor who happened to be walking through the ICU, we caught a break but it was only seconds after dialing in the ventilator settings that the patient crashed. Despite our best efforts, flatline. We worked on him for 30 minutes to no avail. Exhausted and crushed, I called the patient's wife. The whole family came in and I sat in a conference room and told them the terrible news. Grief, resign, frustration. It wasn't till the next morning that the calls started to come in. I would quickly realize that his second wife had decided not to inform his three children of his passing, and the task fell to me, over the phone, and it was horrible. The seeds of my leaving were sown early in my journey. They grew out of grief and frustration and a feeling of helplessness. Decades in the making, they strangely had nothing in the world to do with money. I had always figured that I was not only going to retire from medicine, but to something, another job another way to make a living, another reality filled with time constraints, deadlines, and yes, even paychecks. But maybe, just maybe, there's another way. Race and Leaf are my good friends. He was a doctor and she was a registered dietitian. Or should I say he is a doctor and she is a registered dietitian? I'm still not sure. You may know them from the blog Physician on Fire, which Leaf started to document his journey to financial independence and consequently away from anesthesiology. After leaving his job recently, he and Race have been traveling, world schooling their children, and living a life based on their own needs and desires. Race and Leaf, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank you. That was quite the introduction. And, you know, it's a story that is playing out day in, day, day out with the current pandemic patients in respiratory distress deteriorating rapidly, and it's appropriate given the time. I'll also point out that, like many stories, you can blame anesthesia for what happened there. <laughs> yeah, let's point out, Lee, wasn't the anesthesiologist that didn't show up. Yeah, I, I, was, I was wondering if I should put that into the story. It is the reality of the situation. But generally, anesthesia is incredibly helpful. And that was a strange glitch in my residency career. The same thing never happened again. But maybe that's the thing about those things that happen to us is sometimes everything just seems to go wrong. Mm-hmm. And in that case, that happened. But it did change my outlook about medicine. And it was one of a series of things throughout the years that slowly eroded my confidence in that being a doctor was the thing I was meant to do. 
And Leif, I wonder, for you, was it the same? Did you always know you wanted to be a doctor when you were a kid? I would have to say I did not. It came naturally. I was good at science. I enjoyed working with people. But I know there was a time in high school even that I thought maybe the business world would be better for me. I looked into different business schools for a little while. And then by the time I was a senior, I was back on the, the medicine train. But no, it's, it's not like a passion I had since I was four years old and picked up a plastic stethoscope and, and knew that that's what I was going to do my whole life. And race, how about you? Were you figuring out dietary plans as a little kid for your whole family? Did you know you wanted to be a registered dietitian? No, I don't even think I knew what that was as a child. I just didn't really have a lot of direction going into college. And to go into college, they made you select a major right away. And that was the one I picked. And that's what I graduated in. I stuck with it. And Leith, as I mentioned in my introduction, I started seeing blemishes or tarnishes in the medical profession from pretty much the beginning. When did you start realizing that, hey, I might not want to be that kind of picture of a doctor who works into their 70s and 80s? I've always had quite a few outside interests and hobbies. And I would say compared to many of my colleagues, maybe I don't identify as strongly as a doctor first and everything else second. I mean, I, I guess I never really planned on working into my 70s, call me lazy, but I thought I'd work at least into my 50s until we had an empty nest, maybe do some locums work, traveling work for a while and see the country that way and when I was in my like mid-50s. But I didn't think about early retirement until I realized that there was something called financial independence and that we pretty much had it at age 39 or 40. And that's when I really got serious about making a plan. I realized we could afford to do it. And having that knowledge opened up a whole lot of different possibilities about maybe seeing the country without working and maybe seeing the world because we had that opportunity and kids that we thought would enjoy it and benefit from it as well. And race, we make a big deal of Leaf as the physician on fire, but actually you preceded him in early retirement. When did you leave the world of registered dietitians and why? Sure. Well, we moved to Northern Michigan right after my internship in Pittsburgh and I was already pregnant. And so I interviewed for one job teaching for a local community college and I did that for two years. I taught nutrition there and it was at the time that I was teaching that we figured out that Northern Michigan wasn't going to be a long-term opportunity for us. The hospital that Leaf was working for was struggling and did end up closing. But during that time, he started doing local tenems again, and we had two young children. I knew that I wasn't going to be able to continue to teach. So at the end of the semester, I quit teaching. And when we moved to South Dakota, I never worked after that. And that was one or two nights a week, the teaching? Yeah, it was just a three credit course. So it was only three credits and I was able to do it in one night. And then I had a lot of work I did at home. Race, did you feel attached to that job in nutrition as a registered dietitian? Or was it fairly easy for you to say, eh, I've got other things to do. I've got young kids, no big deal. Yeah. You know, it was hard to not work after putting so much time in my education. I went to college for a long time. I have a bachelor's in nutrition and science, and then I also have a master's, and I went and got a second bachelor's in dietetics. So after putting in all that time and effort and doing an internship, I really wanted to have a career. But when you have kids and you have a husband that's in the medical profession, his job always outranked mine. If I was scheduling classes on a Monday night, suddenly he had meetings on a Monday night, my classes couldn't compete with the importance of his meetings. And so I felt like where he was at in his career with a lot of boards, a lot of call, no post-call days off at that time, and the level of intensity of his job, I wasn't going to be able to prioritize the kids in my job too. Leaf, as Race talks about this, I see an interesting juxtaposition when she talks about how much time and energy she put into her degrees and the schooling. And I think about your story a little bit. I'm familiar enough to know that you discovered this idea of financial independence retire early when you were studying for your boards. And yeah. you say that you pretty much realized in your 30s fairly quickly that you were financially independent was there this moment where you were like, 
I can do this now and leave? Or was there some sadness because you had spent all that time on education and studying? Race had left her job for which she had spent a lot of time. Was there a moment where you're like, well, I can do this, but I'm just going to stick at being a doctor for a while? Yeah, I like to look forwards more than, than backwards. So, you know, what we've done in the past and where we've been, you know, it shouldn't have that strong of an impact of the choices we make going forward and what the rest of our life is going to look like. So I didn't decide not to take those boards. I did take them. I learned later that they didn't count for anything because they changed the way they did maintenance of certification right after I passed my 10-year test. But no, that's that's about the time we just had some deep conversations and said, okay, what do we really want to do with this? And how much longer will I work? I kind of made a five-year plan, but ended up exiting in about four years from anesthesia. I would like to note that we've had a lot of ongoing conversations way before he stepped away from medicine of what we wanted our lives to be like. And the fact that we put a lot of time into our education, we benefited from that time in different ways. And if I hadn't gone to college, I wouldn't have met my husband. We met when I was in grad school. Like it wasn't just the degrees that we walked away from. We walked away from great experiences too. I don't feel the need to hold on to my degree just because I earned it. That's true. And I've got good friends from Mm -hmm. high school, college, med school, residency, internship, before residency, part of residency, from the different jobs I've had, and now from being a blogger. That's how I know you. So like every new part of life brings on a new set of people that are really interesting and and fun to know. And and I kept in touch with people from every step along the way. Mm -hmm. We've made a lot of amazing friends in our lifetime and continue to make them with what we're doing now. Even in our travels, we are still making amazing friends in different countries And I think that as long as we're talking and communicating about these changes, you know, we're growing together as a couple. I think our relationship is definitely stronger now than it even was 10 years ago or 15 years ago. How long have we been together? 16 years? It's been a while. It's been a while. (laughs) So Race, help me be a fly on the wall. Leaf is out studying for his boards. He comes home, sits you down and says, guess what, honey, I've discovered this interesting thing. Tell me about that first conversation about financial independence and this whole idea of maybe leaving medicine. If I recall correctly, I don't think it was a conversation. I think he found Mr. Money Mustache and was encouraging me to read things on Mr. Money Mustache that were very interesting. And we've always just had a relatively frugal lifestyle. So nothing that Mr. Money Mustache was writing about was outside of the realm of, I mean, he's, he's a little more extreme than we are, but we were doing a lot of the things that he was talking about anyways, not splurging, not buying fancy cars and stuff. So it was very easy to have the conversation of, should we continue to earn this doctor physician income? Do we need it? And I'm, I'm, fairly certain there was a spreadsheet. <laughs> of course there was. <laughs> I <Probably> had projections. <laughs> Here's where it could be in two uh-huh. years, four yeah. years, six years, eight years. If I do work, if I don't yeah. work. And one thing I realized is that working or not, or working full-time or part-time mm-hmm. didn't change the future kind of value of our portfolio as much as market returns. So I kind of realized like, well, if we make 2% more per year, just by chance, that pretty much covers what I would have made from working or something like that. I mean, that's not the exact way it looked, but it was like, well, if you look out 10 years, the biggest factor isn't how much or if I work, <laughs> it's, it's what the market uh, returns give us. And I think that we have had, we started tracking our budget to find out how much we were spending every year. And really there isn't a dramatic change. We're, we just don't spend a ton of money. So his physician income was not as impactful as the market. And also our lifestyle creep. We haven't had lifestyle creep in 16 years. I don't think it's going to happen to us anytime soon. No, if we wanted to spend more, we would have done that 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. So Leaf, realizing that the incremental gain wasn't so much from continuing to work, walk us through that four to five year timeline. How did you come up with that? Well, the spreadsheet kind of told me, (laughs) you know, we were kind of like baseline FI, right? We 
I knew roughly how much we were spending based on the credit cards and what we paid in property taxes, the few things we paid for with check. I figured it was about 70000 a year. Now that's with our student loans already paid mm-hmm. off, with our mortgage completely paid off. Mm-hmm. So we're spending something like 6000 a month just on you know, normal living, travel, et cetera. And I thought, okay, well, 25X is kind of the baseline and that's about where we were. I wanted to be really, really sure that leaving medicine was what I wanted to do and I wanted to do it after we had maybe twice as much money or close to it as we had at the time. And so that's about where we ended up after four or five years. Now, the decision was made a little bit easier because about a year after I discovered Fire. I started that blog that uh, you know about Physician on Fire, and that has become something of a you know an online business. It does make money. I donate half of my profits, but I keep the other half, and that's enough to cover our expenses too. And so financially, I'm a really terrible test case for early retirement for medicine because we're not relying on my portfolio, at least not at the moment. And Leif, you mentioned the blog. It obviously takes up quite a bit of your time and does spin off some income. How do you think your trajectory would have been different if you didn't have that blog? Well, I did mention that the five-year plan became a four-year plan. Mm -hmm. And the timing was really based on uh, a local kid coming back home who uh, wanted to be an or had become an anesthesiologist and wanted to work in his hometown. And he contacted me two and a half years before he finished residency and said, hey, any any chance there might be an opening in your small group? And I said, well, <laughs> can't quite come out and say it yet, but let me talk to the chief and we might be able to figure something out. And sure enough, we interviewed him and I made plans to depart when he arrived. And our departure was also based on our children and the transition from our children being in elementary school to our oldest going into middle school. It seemed like a good time to you know, stop him from going from one building to the next building and, and start traveling instead. Yeah, for now. For until, now. <laughs> until we couldn't travel. So For now, until there was this pandemic, which for some reason you didn't foresee. No, no. no. Where was that one? That was not in the plan. So, Race, talk to me a little bit as the time was getting closer and mm-hmm. Leaf is talking about, okay, we're setting a date, we're setting a time. What preparations needed to take place? Like emotionally and physically, did you have to prepare for this event? Was it a big change in your life? Gosh, I, I don't know how to answer that. I, I feel like we had conversations for years leading up to it. So it certainly wasn't a surprise. It didn't come out of nowhere. I think I prepared a lot for the children mostly. What was it going to look like to move from Minnesota back to Northern Michigan, which is where I'm from? What did that look like for maintaining their friendships? And how was I going to educate them now that they weren't going to the public schools? And that was, you know, I spent time researching different options, but we had talked to the kids a lot about it. We were allowing the kids to participate in some of their own activities as far as academics go, let them choose which way they wanted to handle different subjects and taking their, you know, their opinions into consideration for it. Leaf, you were pretty open with the kids in involving them in the conversations from an early time? Yes, maybe not super early, but mm-hmm. once it became clear that this plan was coming to fruition, you know, I think they knew for a year or two that we were winding things down and that we'd be moving back to Michigan because we used mm-hmm. to live here. And, yeah. and so they've got family and, and some friends here too. So it wasn't something that they were opposed to. It's just okay, here's, here's what's happening in life. But also, it's not just moving to Michigan. It's where do you want to go? Where do you want to yeah. be? What do you want to do this winter? And they definitely <laughs> have had a role in, in a lot of that. And our kids have picked the most random places to travel to because our youngest wants to go to Easter Island, which is the hardest, most expensive place to get to ever. And then our oldest still wants to go to Machu Picchu, which somehow we did not pull off this year. No, we could have. Yeah. But- he also wants to see the Great Wall. And we, Great Wall of China. Plan, we have plans to be there in November. I don't see that happening right now. Yeah. But you never know. It's funny, as I hear you guys talking about it, I realize that for your kids, this must have been a huge change. On the other hand, it sounds like they were looking forward to it and relishing it much in the same way you guys seem to have looked forward to this change in your lives. 
Yeah, we did some uh, practice runs before I fully retired. I worked about a week, a month, seven very busy days, including a 72-hour call weekend. But that afforded me three weeks off on the part-time schedule that I kind of helped design. And so we took three weeks, went down to a city called Guanajuato in Mexico, where they have a little Spanish language school. That's great for the family. We went to Hawaii for three weeks. We went to Honduras and Roatan, did some volunteer medical mission work and the family did some volunteer work there. So we had been doing these short trips, you know, quick bursts. I call them short, three weeks, <laughs> but compared to what we were able to do over the last six months, that was just kind of like a preview. Okay. So now instead of two or three weeks at a time, it's two or three months at a time, like slow travel. And those shorter trips allowed us to try homeschooling to see how the kids handled being together for that length of time, only having each other to play with. And the, you know, the travel aspects, how is it cooking at home and living in different areas, the language barrier of being in Mexico for three weeks? How do we like online classes? It's, it was really great to have those shorter experiences so that when we did longer travel, it wasn't new. It wasn't new to us and it wasn't new to our kids either. And a lot of what we've been doing over the last six months and even before that with our practice runs kind of helped to prepare us for this pandemic situation where we're home in small quarters, just like if we were in the Airbnbs, we're responsible for their education and they don't have like a group of friends every day that they could play with. This was a fantastic time to go from almost 4,000 square feet home to 1,100. Yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe not, but here we are. Here we are. So Leif, it sounds like you had done your practice runs and you were ready for that big day. Tell me how it felt working that last day of being an anesthesiologist. It was anticlimactic. So I ended on a, a Monday morning at, I think, 0600 uh, because I took call my final weekend. And we had some cases. I don't even remember what we did that weekend. I think it was kind of an average I honestly have no idea what my last case was or who it was. Or We should look that up. <laughs> yeah. So it was very much anticlimactic. I was already kind of looking forward to, okay, I'm going to be driving the last trailer load of our stuff over to Michigan. We actually picked up, or my son's best friend was dropped off with me at the hospital, and he came to Michigan with me to hang out for a couple of weeks with our older son. And so my mind was already kind of, on, on the next steps. <laughs> we had a lot to do that first couple of weeks because we didn't move into our house until August. And we, we got the house on a Friday and we ran a 5K on a Saturday. We went to Sheboygan and then Leaf had to go back to work right away. So we had just moved into this house. We had one trailer load of belongings and I was going to paint and he was going to bring more stuff over. So we were rapidly approaching the next segment of our lives. And we had travel plans coming up in October, early October. We were supposed to go to Ecuador in early October. So we had one month to kind of move, well, I guess closer to two months to move everything in and start this next phase. Right. And I had, we'd actually sold our house in Minnesota in early June. Mm -hmm. So when I was back home, it was like I had already moved out, but I just lived at the hospital when I was on call and stayed with my parents who lived 30 plus minutes away when I was working surgery center shifts. So, you know, in a lot of ways we had already moved on, including not having a home there anymore. Race, it sounds like you guys had a very specific set of plans and expectations from coming out of Leaf's retirement. How have things stacked up to what you thought they were going to be? We're what now eight months out. Did everything go to plan and, and how did it not? I think everything's going really great. The kids are really happy. Homeschooling is much easier than I had anticipated. We are making friends in the community very easily. And I think- A little more difficult at the moment, but well, yes. <laughs> yes. We have great neighbors. We have great neighbors. Some of the things that haven't worked out very well, we were supposed to go to Ecuador in October, which would have been a new place for the kids. Leif and I were there, I don't know, 10 plus years ago. And of course, Ecuador went through some social unrest we very last minutely decided to go back to Guanajuato, which was a place that we love, but we had already been there and we stayed six weeks in Guanajuato and Leaf still needed to go to Ecuador for a conference. So then the kids and I were in Mexico by ourselves for a week, which was fine. But, you know, our plans to go to Ecuador and experience something new and different didn't happen. 
And we ended up back in a place that we'd already been in and had enjoyed and enjoyed a second time, but it wasn't seeing different places the way that we thought we were going to. Leaf, you mentioned that especially recently things have changed. The pandemic has changed all of our lives as well Mm -hmm. as the economic recession. We in our community love to talk about sequence of returns risk. And if things hold true, you pick the absolutely worst time to retire. Any regrets now, at least from an economic standpoint? No, no. You know, I I think we're down less than 20% now. It was as much as 37%, at least the S&P 500. But one thing you can do to shield yourself from a sequence of returns risk is to have and some form of income so that you're not actually selling from your portfolio. And so we have that. So I feel pretty well protected. I still have a medical license. And in fact, I'm not thrilled at the prospect of going back to work, but I did early on, I think it was mid-March, early to mid-March, I called my old chief of our anesthesia uh, group and said, you know, I, I still have my license. I'm still credentialed at the hospital. And if you need help, I'm available. You know, let me know. You know, before you reach out and try to get locums, like I'll come back and do this. You know, if shit hits the fan, I'll be there. But uh, right now, I'm happy to be here. Race, how would it be if the if the hospital called up and said, "Hey, Leaf needs to come back. We need him." Would that put stress on your family? Uh no. I mean, he needs to do what he needs to do. We he, Leaf was in self quarantine for two weeks during this process, and. I'm kind of, I don't know, used to single parenting. I've done a lot of single parenting in the past when his job was very demanding. I've done a lot of single parenting when he was working in South Dakota and I wanted to be at home in Michigan with my family. So the kids and I, we can hold our own for a while. If if he needs to go back to work, he needs to go back to work. Leaf Race mentioned the kids. How have they been holding up with all this change? How have they tolerated or even thrived in this change of lifestyle for you guys? I feel they've been very resilient in both the change uh, that was me retiring and us traveling and also the change of the pandemic kind of keeping us isolated here. Again, we kind of had practice with our travels. It looked a lot like what we're doing now in some ways and very different in other ways. But like race kind of referred to, Earlier, when uh, we took our three-week trips, they showed us that they can study independently. They can get their work done. They respond to incentives, you know. (laughs) And so if we're going to go out for ice cream, well, you have to have all of your math, spelling, and typing club or Duolingo Spanish done, and they do it. They they definitely respond to incentives. Race, talk a little bit about world schooling slash homeschooling. You said it was easier than you thought it would be. The kids are taking to it? Yeah, absolutely. I Before in my prep work for this, there's just an overwhelming amount of ways that you can homeschool and world school your child. So I spent a long time looking through different methods and became a part of a homeschooling community here in where we're living in Michigan and just learned that I don't know any two people that are doing it the same. So we're all approaching it from a very flexible, you know, what works best for our family method. And I have found that we've had to change methods already, even though it's only been eight months. We started out with workbooks. Then we went to Spain with backpacks and I couldn't bring all the workbooks. So then we switched to some computer methods and we're just trying to be flexible. But what I do make sure is that our kids are doing something in every subject, the important subjects plus their extracurriculars trying to maintain their music lessons while we travel. They're doing virtual music lessons right now with their teachers. I would say it's going really well. We've been able to focus on the areas that they needed work in that we noticed that were lagging when we started homeschooling. And for our children, that's writing specifically. And to kind of let them take their own reins in areas that they're thriving in. If if they, you know, want to do different types of math, they're welcome to do that because they're very far ahead in math. But as far as writing goes, we were kind of <laughs> trying to start yeah. honing in on the writing. It we were, really needs a lot of work. We were very happy with the public schools, yes. but their handwriting and ability to put ideas together on paper was very much lacking. And they're lazy. Our children are so lazy. They're only going to do the bare minimum. And so in they do the bare minimum. That's what it comes down to for writing. Yeah. 
I've decided to see my children are exactly that too. Like if they're given the choice, they will sit in bed. And if they're given their phones, they'll look at their phones all day. So I've decided it's the cost of having super successful, excellent parents is oh. kids try to do the exact opposite. So maybe you guys are facing the same thing. If you weren't so, you know, accomplished yourselves, you wouldn't have that problem with your kids. Okay. We're, we'll go with that. I appreciate Let's go with that one. <laughs> So Leif, talk to me about the short-term and the long-term future. Assuming travel restrictions let up that we indeed make it through this pandemic, what do you see your future looking like? Our plan, uh, our family plan, which I guess that's my future, is has always been travel for up to about four years. We wanted to commit to two years and see how it goes and maybe a couple more. At that point, our younger son will be 15 and ready to 14, 15, uh, ready to start high school. And most likely that'll be in the more traditional high school setting. Now, again, we're always open to pivoting as circumstances change. So short term, yeah, we'd like to get back to travel. We'd like to see a whole bunch of places and we won't get to see everywhere that we want to go. But I think we still could have a couple of years of travel in us as a family before we find a place to uh, call home for high school, which might be where we are right now, might not be, I'm not sure. Ray's life is long, and indeed the kids at some point are going to make it to high school and then college and need you less. Do you think you'll ever go back to traditional employment? Could you see yourself working for someone again? Yeah, absolutely. I can't ever see myself working full-time, but I did have a subbing license, and I was subbing at the kids' school for a while, which I enjoyed doing, and I could see myself doing that when they're back in high school. I could see myself working at a coffee shop. She was at Walmart doing our Walmart pickup the other day. Yeah. She was like, man, they need help. <laughs> I should go work at Walmart. <laughs> I know if, if I had an antibody test to prove that I had already had this COVID situation and I knew that you know my risk was low at getting it again, I would go bag groceries at Walmart. That was my first job, not Walmart, mm-hmm. but bagging groceries, mm-hmm. stocking shelves. I worked at a grocery store for three or four years. Yeah, my first job was at a putt-putt golf in northern Michigan. It was great. I could do that again. And Leaf, if the retirement police were not to catch up with you, could you see yourself working for someone again, either as a doctor or something else? I mean, you mentioned maybe at some point some locums, but what about outside of medicine? I wouldn't close any doors right now. You know, this this pandemic has you thinking at night, like, what can I do to help? How can I contribute in some way? And that could be something I've not even thought of yet, whether it's in this pandemic or just in, in life in general. And so... Yeah, it's a it's a blank slate and I love that. You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights, we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave, and two minutes later, we'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing, and there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week. These are chef-prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave, and two minutes later, you have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example with a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel. This car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, 
purposeful cockpit like driving position and award winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R-U-S-A.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Grace, I have met you several times now at social functions. We've gone to conferences and meetings and gatherings together this financial independence retire early community is fairly tight. How do you think it's going to hold up with this recession and pandemic? Do you think it's going to change our community at all? Oh, that's more of a question for Lee, because when I go to these conferences, I just go for fun. I don't go to learn anything. Leaf comes home and tells me everything, but our community is very tight knit. And I actually, since this whole pandemic has happened, I've had more um, people reach out from the community, the finance community, than even in my own life. Like I talked to a lot of the friends we have in this finance community to see how they're doing. And so far, I don't think I've really talked to anybody where the economic impact has been detrimental at this point. Right. I mean, yeah, we're, we're seeing our portfolios drop by, mm-hmm. you know, like we said, 10, 20, 30%. But we are also the people that have saved for this very, very rainy day. And so you know, any mention in the past that, oh, the fire community is going to be really screwed when the market, the next bear market comes. It's like, no, that's actually the opposite. It's the people that haven't been saving that are now, mm-hmm. you know, I, I read that a third of people didn't pay rent on April 1st nationwide. You know, you see people that being out of a paycheck for two to four weeks is devastating to their ability to continue living as they were. Whereas people who have financial independence or even one-tenth of the way there can go, you know, a couple, three years without making money. So I think it only proves that it's really a a wise choice to be saving for your future when, you know, something can happen out of, not really out of the blue, but this was not part of anyone's plan, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Leaf, in fact, a lot of people mention rightly that the financial independence movement really seems to have gained steam out of the 2008-2009 economic recession. There's a suggestion that maybe even the financial independence retire early community may grow from this experience. A lot of people will have wished that they had uh, you know, emergency funds of 5x to 50x what they spend in a year, that's for sure. So, Race, a lot of people are thinking about future retirement and are feeling anxiety about the idea. What will I do with myself? Will I have enough money? What type of advice can you give to people based on your experiences? What would you say is most important? Well, I think you really need to figure out first what you're spending. What is financial independence for you and your family? Because that's very different for everybody. We knew what we were spending. We were tracking it. So we had a really good idea of what we needed to be financially independent. And then we went above and beyond. So I don't have a lot of anxiety when it comes to our finances because we prepped so well for this. And then I think you need to figure out what you're going to do with your time. Right now has been very challenging. We have a lot of extra time on our hands and we're home a lot. And that's not normal for us. So I would say that's a difficulty that we're experiencing now. And I'm really glad that Leaf has his blog because that's something he enjoys putting time and effort into. I've been sewing a lot of masks. And so, and I I do enjoy sewing, maybe not the same thing a hundred times a day, but, you know, to make sure that you have enough activities to take up your time, that you're not going to be bored and figure out what you're still going to do to grow as a family. Leaf, you can always be a podcast guest, right? There's all sorts of podcasts out I've there that are always looking that. for guests. I've been doing that. This is number two this week, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's all well, good. It's, it's nice and reassuring to talk to you guys because we plan as much as we can for our finances. And there's always been a lot of banter out there that people are retiring early or that they're not planning well enough. And what we're going through right now, this recession, is pretty much as bad as it gets for someone who's thinking of retiring early. So to see you guys are thriving and not looking anxious and sounding prepared and that I'm hearing that echoed in many different places in our community is fairly reassuring that this is not just something we made up, but indeed you can thrive and do well. 
and to get race to a point where she's not anxious about something is not easy. <laughs> she was born I to worry. <laughs> pro worrier over here. Absolutely. I have mastered the art of worry. Well, if you're going to worry about something, money is, is a big one. So yeah. it makes sense. Now it's just, what are we going to have for dinner <laughs> every night? <laughs> and what am I going to do when I finish sewing all these masks? Exactly. So much extra time. All right. Well, it has been a pleasure having you guys on and I'm going to end this episode the way I end every episode. What is coming up next for you guys and where can we find you on the internet? You can find me at physicianonfire.com on Twitter with the same handle at physicianonfire. I have Instagram and Facebook presence too. What's up next for us? Let's see what the governor allows, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. At the moment, they're saying we shouldn't go to our other home in northern Michigan on the lake. <laughs> At least the uh, letter of the law says we should do that. We should not do that. The intent of the law probably doesn't forbid it. But anyway, we're just going to be here yep. <laughs> planning lunch and dinner. Yep. The snow is melting. We've, we've been running a bit as a family. We have our kids running, so we'll continue to do that. Yeah. yeah. And we pray for a, uh, re- a relatively swift resolution yes. to the situation that we've all found ourselves in. Yeah. And Race, you recently, or at least not that long ago, did a post on homeschooling slash world schooling for Physician on Fire. So maybe occasionally we'll see your voice there too. Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) All right. Well, this has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I wanted to thank Leaf and Race, Mr. and Mrs. Physician on Fire. Congratulations on your early retirement, and hopefully you will be back to traveling soon. That's a wrap. We're going to do something new next week. What I've found is that when you're busy creating in life, sometimes the best way to get better, to improve, to become more creative, is to stop and reflect. Up until this point, we've been creating new content here at What's Up Next and then Earn and Invest for the last year and a half. Next week, we are going to do some rewind episodes. That's going to be a replay of some older episodes, probably back from the What's Up Next days. There'll be some new commentary and thoughts. But it is a week for me to reflect on Earn and Invest, what I am creating here, how it serves you and me both together, how we continue to build this community. It'll be a week and then we'll be back to our normal new episodes. I hope you enjoy this walk down memory lane. Hopefully, if you haven't heard these episodes before, they will be new to you. And as I said before, I probably will say a few words before and after each episode to give you some idea how my thoughts have changed and how that conversation has affected my outlook on personal finance and life. I hope you enjoy next week. But first, some thoughts on this holiday weekend. Memorial Day is a funny holiday for me. The truth of the matter is, up till a few years ago, I didn't really think much about the armed services. And this is really a privilege to live in a country where I am defended and taken care of, but not have to worry about it day to day is truly a privilege that I grew up having that I didn't think much about, which is funny because my father was a captain in the Air Force. He was a physician during the Vietnam War and he was drafted as a physician and traveled outside of the U.S., ended up outside of Vietnam in Thailand and treated patients at an Air Force base there. And when he died and I was eight years old, I realized we had never talked about his time in the service. In fact, I don't have much left over about his life from that time. One thing I do have is a picture of him in his Air Force uniform taking care of villagers in a small Thai village. And there he is with a stethoscope around his neck, his uniform on. He's bending over a tarp of some kind, and there's a villager laying down. He's listening to their heart. And I never connected this idea of him as a military captain or officer. I always connected with that picture as him as a physician. So this idea of what the military was or what the military does was never much a part of my upbringing. Certainly my mom never talked about it. And then I went to school in a middle class to wealthy area. 
And the armed forces wasn't something we really talked about. Where I went to school, people didn't aspire to a career in the armed forces. In fact, sad to say, it probably was something that I figured was left for the people who didn't have other options. I probably, somewhere in the back of my mind, thought that that was a place for the uneducated or for the people who were down on their luck and didn't have money or couldn't afford college. I'm not sure what exactly I thought, but it wasn't a route that I ever considered for myself or my family. And looking back, I really didn't know anyone who went into the armed forces. So I can't think of any friends of mine who took that path outside of high school or college. Maybe now that I think about it, there was one friend in high school who I was kind of connected to. We ran in different circles, but I think he at some point joined the Navy. But this wasn't a part of my experience, and I certainly never ended up seeing him or talking to him about it after he joined. I didn't really know anyone in the armed forces during college. I might have had people in my classes who had already finished serving for the United States and then were going to college afterwards, maybe here and there. I might have interacted with people like that. But again, my knowledge was minimal and my interaction was almost nothing. So Memorial Day didn't mean much to me. I didn't have this connection to people who had served in the military or even had died in battle. It was something that was amorphous and distant, something that I couldn't quite put my finger on until recently. So recently, as I discovered personal finance and financial independence, I was surprised and I should say pleasantly surprised by meeting a lot of people who were either active military or had been in the military in the past. And I found that I had this thing in common with them was that we were both interested in personal finance and that the military is actually a very reasonable way to reach financial security and, in fact, even financial independence. So this was my first real interaction with people in the military, and now, years later, some of my best friends, people I met online and then went to gatherings, get-togethers, and meetings and have become very close to, are either active military now or were in the past. And I would have never interacted with these people because of personal finance. I would have never even come in contact with them. They just weren't the people I was interacting with as a physician or a community member or in my previous circle of friends. And I find this really refreshing that this whole group of people that I had never met before suddenly have become part of my life because of my interest in personal finance And I've learned a lot more about the military. A lot of people I respect have gone through the military or are currently there. They've learned amazing job skills. They've learned ways of tackling problems. And they've found ways to get their finances in order and use the military system to provide for what they need. And this blows my mind. It baffles me how little I knew before this. So I'm recording this shortly after Memorial Day 2020, and I'm feeling really thankful. I'm feeling thankful to those people I know who are serving in the military now or have in the past who have put their lives in danger to protect me and my loved ones I'm feeling a lot more understanding and knowledge about what the military is and what it provides our community outside of protecting us. It provides financial security, job training, and a sense of community for a lot of our young people. And I think this is really, really valuable. And especially on Memorial Day weekend, But always, I'm thankful for those people who are willing to go to war for me, my family, and my country. That's no small thing. 
I've been thinking about that a lot lately, especially for physicians who are on the front line, as well as nurses, certified nursing assistants, and all the people who help hospitals run who've been battling COVID right now and putting themselves in harm's way. The truth of the matter is we don't face that much in medicine, and these are extreme times, but they will pass. We won't always have a COVID pandemic. We won't always have shortages of protective equipment for our healthcare providers. This will pass. You can train to become a physician and nurse and expect that mostly you will not be in danger when you go to work every day. On the other hand, if you're active duty military, if you are serving outside of our country in a war zone, you are expected to be in a dangerous situation and you're doing it willingly day to day for all of us. So today I wanted to say thank you. I wanted to say thank you also to the personal finance community who has introduced me to these wonderful people And I'd just like to express this idea that it took me 40-some years to really realize what the military is, why it's important, and learn the true character of the people who volunteer themselves up to do what needs to be done for our community. Thank you for doing what you do. Thank you for being a part of this community. And thank you for teaching me about many things, honor and valor, as well as personal finance. Yeah, yeah, it was good. And this is like the main social yeah. <laughs> thing we do now is like <laughs> you know? Zoom calls and yeah. It's the most fun I've had all day. Yeah. Good. I'm, I'm glad I could perform that, but it's still early in the day. Like there's still like uh, some sewing, some eating, some cleaning This will be the most fun up. I've had today. <laughs> Yeah, we we uh, we recognize Lent, so I gave mm-hmm. up red meat for Lent. Mm-hmm. We give up alcohol for a week every month, and this is that week. Mm-hmm. So, like, we're looking forward to Sunday. <laughs> Sunday will be really good. <laughs> yes, I was about to say. So, you're looking for any kind of entertainment? You can find whatever. Yeah, it is. right. Yes, yes. Entertainments in short supply. We live in a small house. <laughs> <laughs> you know, to me, it just appears like a box. That's all I see. Yeah, <laughs> true. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts.